This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You're on In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, I interview performance artist Harry Clayton Wright. I chat with Russ Mulry from Fostering Connections and later Spiro Economopoulos from the Melbourne Queer Film Festival joins us. You're listening to 3CR Radio. Well, chameleon UK performance artist Harry Clayton Wright was in Melbourne this week and I spoke with him here at 3CR. Welcome to 3CR. Welcome to Melbourne. Harry Clayton Wright. Hi. Thank you so much. You've been to Sydney performing your one-person extravaganza, Sex Education. Tell us all about it. So Sex Education is my debut solo theatre show that um, I did at the Edinburgh Fringe last year and Sydney Mardi Gras got in contact and said, would you like to come over and do the show? And I was like, this is the biggest yes of my life. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Um, It's a show about how we learn about sex and how it shapes our lives, specifically in regards to the way that our parents teach us about sex or don't. So my mum never spoke to me about sex whatsoever. So for the show, I decided to interview her and where we finally have the discussion about sex. And that's an audio recording that plays through the show and when I was 14 as well uh, my dad bought me a bag of gay porn DVDs that's something I found under the bed and we also watch in the show to see what I was exposed to while still technically and legally a child uh, to see how that influenced my sexual life and history and we in it explore as well um, yeah sex education for LGBTQ plus people and what that means it becomes a bit of a conversation with the audience and yeah the show's had an amazing life it won a Brighton Fringe Award uh, got nominated for a Total Theatre Award uh, in Edinburgh last year and it also in Edinburgh won the Melbourne Fringe Award which supports bringing the show to Melbourne later in the year so I can't say too much about that but it is going to come back to Australia it's going to come to Melbourne later this year which is super exciting. Tell us about your childhood in Blackpool in the UK which you just alluded to. Uh, Yeah, so I grew up in Blackpool, which is a small seaside town in the UK, and it's quite remarkable. It has um, three piers, um, a a theme park, it has a tower. It's the sort of like golden age of like British seaside entertainment happened at in and in Blackpool. And when the package holiday came along and everybody could fly to Europe and go to Spain and different places it that that had a massive effect on British seaside and coastal towns and so I grew up in a a, a, not in the heyday of it but I definitely grew up seeing what was amazing entertainment um, on my doorstep Funny Girls which is the longest running drag review show in the UK uh, is in Blackpool at an old um, cinema it has a revolving stage and a fly tower and you just have drag queens working there like five six nights a week like just being incredible Uh, Betty Legs Diamond who's the star of that show is I think she's like 60 and she's still kicking like beyond her ears and she's amazing so yeah but I also yeah I kind of grew up around um, in yeah, a, a sort of style of entertainment which is very 
it has been very influential on me because that's what I saw before, like a lot of theatre. So I, I, I call myself an entertainer and a performance artist because I believe entertainment is a really accessible art form, but performance art can go deeper, um, but not everybody can access that. So I believe that between the two is where my work sits. Your work really shot into the public domain through social media. Tell us about your use of social media as a performer. Um, well, I've always had that uh, link to social media as a way of like disseminating work, but also I believe it's a really democratizing uh, tool for artists so that if you share work and you have um, a you know, you're resonating with audiences, it gets the attention of people who can book you. So I, I did know that, you know, putting work out there and sort of having those conversations, which I really love with like platforms that I've used in the past, YouTube, Tumblr, God rest its, you know, soul. Like when the porn ban came along, I was very devastated by that. Um, but Twitter, Facebook, Insta. Yeah, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed developing a connection with um, people and online and that's really helped in terms of like being able to go off and travel and do lots of different things and make lots of different collaborations as well have happened through me being online a lot of people have seen my work and then said oh would you come and do this or like would sh should we make a piece together and so I've been very lucky that um it's really helped and I often say to like you know I've started doing I'm at the sort of I'd say I'm approaching veteran status at stalwart 31. at 31. Um, I've been working for like nearly 13 years um, and I've just started doing university talks to like young performers as well. And then you realize as well how much you've done and uh, yeah, just how much knowledge. And also within that, um, I'm still learning a lot, but I'm also aware that I can now also give advice um, and it'd be quite good advice. So I definitely say to um, young performers and artists, I'm like, make your own work, put it out there and don't wait for gatekeepers to tell you what you can and can't do. Um, the internet is a great tool to be able to share our work without needing, you know, a, a gallery space or you know, a theatre, we can make work and we can put it online and we can have immediate conversations which actually really help build our profile and also allow us to be um, available for opportunities that might not have been able to come to us. And you can do that all while sitting in your house. So you're really about taking the elitism out of performance, taking those gatekeepers out, taking the industry out of Harry and making Harry the industry. I think it's a, a combination of both. I'm aware that, for example, like there's only so much you can do, but then, um, for example, like doing an Edinburgh Fringe, like that is an industry that, you know, ha now having put my show in within that market, I can see that it's generated opportunities that wouldn't have been available to me beforehand if I hadn't done that. So I think it is a combination of both, like seizing the power and then putting your work into those places when you're ready. Um, and then just between the two, just like building your brand, building your work, building your art and making sure that you're you have a very definite stance on what it is you're doing. So when people come to you, like you are able to be like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. Do you want to book it? Do you want me to come? Like, and yeah, it, I think it really, it's, it's really important that it's about the art, but I do think you should be able to be a good business person as well. And that is a massive part of it um, that I've, I think, yeah, it's the, you know, I often say 80% of my job is like admin, 
like and then 20 percent is being able to do the art as well because you know getting it to all the the different places that you are touring it takes a lot of work when you're like you know self-producing and working on your craft so yeah it's 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 hard work but it means more when you do it i think I just watched your video, Deep Clean, your oh, yes. film. Tell us about that. It's very physical. Yes. So um, Deep Clean is um, based on a cabaret act that I used to perform uh, where I... It's about objectophilia, which is the love of objects. And uh, I, in the act, it's about a sort of dance and love story between myself and a vacuum cleaner. Um, a Grammy-nominated director, his name is David Wilson, um, who has worked with the likes of Arcade Fire, Christine and the Queens, Arctic Monkeys, Lady Gaga. He saw the act and thought, actually, this would make a great short film. I'd love to adapt it. So this was in uh, 2016, um, and it was pitched initially as a music video for the song that we use in the short film. And the music, uh, the record company were like, no, we're not going to make this. This is far too explicit. Um, and so two years later, David, still wanting to make it, messaged the artist and said, do you remember the um, treatment that we sent to you for a potential music video? I'd still love to make it. May we use the song? And they said yes, which was an amazing thing. They're um, a band uh, called Naked, um, an artist called Naked, and the song is called Sexual. And it's been, I think, top 10 in quite a few countries. So it was amazing that they let us use the song. It was a real coup. And yeah, so in late 2018, we started developing it. 2019, we shot the film. And in late 2019, we released it. Yeah, so 2019, we shot and released in the same year. And it's going to South by Southwest in March. So I'm very excited about that because it, it's had an incredible journey to go from, you know, 2016, it wanting to make it, but it not being a thing to just doing it anyway and seizing the reins of control and power and being like, we're just going to do it. And instead of waiting for people to say yes, we were like, let's just, let's just do it ourselves. Um, yeah. And so that's been amazing. And it's incredible as well, because the film is like a Hollywood production number. And when you're a cabaret and artist, entertainer and theatre maker, you imagine that your work looks like a Hollywood production number, but sometimes you're just in a black box theatre. And so to be on set in this mansion in like somewhere in London, filming this video was like the most incredible experience because it was like a visualization of the work to the, the furthest degree possible. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, it's something I'm incredibly proud of. And it's, um, yeah, it's been uh, played uh, screened at quite a few festivals now and yeah I'm working with David on like some future ideas because we just had so much fun working together. When I watched it I thought you had a Freddie Mercury moment from I want to break free when you've got the vacuum cleaner is that something that you were aware of at the time? We, the act that I used to perform on stage was based on I want to break free I used to perform a sort of burlesque tribute to Freddie with the vacuum cleaner. Um, but we did change it because we didn't want to get sued by the Queen Estate. I was like, I, I could completely see why. Um, but we also wanted it for it to live in its own world. But it's it's a, it's absolutely a nod to Freddie, who is, of course, an icon who I love and adore and worship. Speaking of icons, tell us about your show where you, the chameleon, Harry Clayton Wright, is Liza Minnelli. 
Oh, yeah. So, um, last year, I was commissioned to make a new performance project piece called The Fortnight, where over 14 days, I premiered 14 brand new eight-hour performances consecutively each day, which was quite something to make and do. And one of those performances was a lip sync of Liza Minnelli's 1989 album Results, which is a 45-minute piece that I would do on loop for eight hours um, because I love that album. I think it's one of the greatest pop albums of all time. And so I was like, let's absolutely honor this by doing a marathon lip sync performance of that. It was it was amazing. We did it in an old church, a deconsecrated church in Brighton called The Spire. And it just looked incredible. And then ever since I've been wanting to do it again. So I did a 45 minute version. So I mean, that's still a long lip sync, but it wasn't eight hours. Um, I did 45 minutes, the, the full album as a performance at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern at a night called Ducky in London, which is quite an iconic night that's been running for nearly 25 years. Um, and th that venue is um, quite an also an iconic venue where a lot of amazing performers have played uh, Lily Savage, Bob Down, like you you name it, there's been they've all been gone through there. Um and so yeah, to do that Liza performance at the tavern was a dream come true. I love it. You're performing sex education in Brighton in the UK this month. Uh how are you feeling about returning to Brighton? It's a bit of a gay performance mecca, yeah? It is indeed and it's um it's also been quite a, a place where it's been a formative uh, part of my creativity and journey the, there's a uh, an organization called the Marlborough Theatre who commissioned my show in, and they're based in Brighton the Spire which is that old deconsecrated church space they're based in Brighton and they commissioned the fortnight and so Brighton have really championed my work and been very yeah um, influential as part of doing it so I can't wait to go back to Brighton and do the show there uh, I'm doing it in a venue called the Attenborough Centre for the Creative Arts, which is like, I think it's about 360 seats. So I'm slightly like, oh my gosh, that's the biggest space we'll have performed the show yet. But it feels like a homecoming for the show because that's where the show was first premiered. And then I'm continuing taking sex education on a UK tour. It's doing 10 nights in London at Shoreditch Town Hall. It's going to uh, Wales. Um, it's going to Cardiff. It's going to Preston. It's going to Bristol and it's going to Cambridge. So it's going to a few places around the UK that I've not even yet performed. I'd never performed in Manchester and I'm from Blackpool and it's like an hour away and I just couldn't believe it. And so the show has even in the UK taken me to places that I've not yet been. So it's been a real amazing opportunity to yeah, travel and perform more and be in front of audiences. So I'm, I'm very grateful. What's it like being a performer from the north of, of England? Is there enough kind of like industry there to sustain you or do you find that you have to venture south to um, sustain yourself as a, as a performer from the UK? See, I think even in the south, there's, I, I, that's, that's true and that's correct. I, I think it's very hard to create a sustainable career in the arts and you're having to constantly go to different places to get uh, at work and make work and so you're constantly traveling um it's very hard to be in one place and if, unless you've got a sort of residency or a night that's regular um getting regular income out of a city means it's, it's hard as an artist um and so I do have a base in the north of my mom's house in Blackpool and a base in Brighton so that I've have uh, like 
two places to stay so that it's I've tried to think about sustainability in the arts and performance and const- uh, you know for about seven years I was like living out of a suitcase and crashing on sofas and it was that was a way of investing in my work but so that I didn't have to pay rent I would you know just crash around and I had a great time doing it but then I was like this isn't sustainable and I, I approached a place of burnout um rightly so I'd been touring for years and it was it was exhausting but yeah so now I'm trying very hard to just and I'm four years sober as well so even within that it was like really really exhausting and hard but um it was also a lot of fun like I'm, I'm aware that there are way you know harder professions to work in um but yeah now I try and um not just fly in and out or I, I think about my schedule and I think about time and managing it um, with a, more focus on my mental health and physical health and well-being where I think before I was more excitable and just, you know, would have, uh, yeah, like if, even before I was sober, I was like a bit of a trashy party monster and so I didn't really care for myself as much as I need to now. Um, but that's also part of the work, which is just, yeah, looking after yourself and um, looking after others as well and having conversations that are really important in this industry about well-being. What's your dream project and how are you going to make it happen? Oh, there's, I mean, there's a few goals on my bucket list that I would absolutely love to achieve. And, uh, and that is I'd love to be able to publish, write and publish a book. Uh, I would love to have uh, adapted maybe the show uh, Sex Education into something longer form in terms of film. Um, I'd also love to um, open a queer commune. That's, really? Yeah, that's that's one of my ideals where it's like, I love the idea of, because uh, I don't necessarily fit within the idea of tra- traditional, like heteronormative relationship wants, um, I really like the idea of having lots of lovely queer people around um, and they are in my life and I love the idea that we can possibly live together and support each other. I've lived in a commune in Brighton in the past and I've stayed in different communes around the world and I, I, I see how it is a massive part of like, you know, queer family. And so like one day I'd love to be able to like, that's my goal to be, to have done enough to be able to like potentially try and like, you know, and it might be with teaming with other people as well, but like get a place of our own where we could just house and live all together. I really like the idea of having a cinema room as well, with just loads of blankets in the winter and just everybody sitting and watching amazing queer films. That's my, like, that's my dream goal. Where would you have the commune? I don't know. That's, that's, to, uh, you know, I, I think probably uh, it would probably be in Blackpool. Because I, 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 I love Blackpool so much. Um, yeah, that's that's looking very likely that I will um, definitely stay there. Um, but and that would also be able to like give me, you know, stuff to do like and people could come to me and I would be able to house them. That's like would be a wonderful thing that, you know, artists could come and do residencies and live with me and we could all like live together and like that's my sort of queer utopia in Blackpool idea wish and want Uh, you know Blackpool has a really sort of uh, some alarming statistics it has um, I think 
eight of the 10 most deprived neighborhoods in the country, in the UK, are in Blackpool. And it has, you know, a lot of people that want to do really good things there. But, you know, it is a place where austerity has hit hard. Um, and given that Brexit has passed and we are sort of also in a sort of conservative government, it's not going to get easier. Um, there have been more cuts announced. And so it is hard there but you know you have a lot of lovely queers wanting to do great stuff and making art happen and that is really inspiring to me because you know in cities where you know queers often gather and you know flock you know that is uh, it, there's more resource there to do stuff um, and so when you're making queer work happen in Blackpool it is uh, very it's appreciated and respected, but it is also more challenging, I think. But you still, there's, that doesn't stop people. It just means that you have to work harder. How are you feeling about Boris Johnson's government in the UK? Uh, next question. <laughs> okay. Um, you're coming back to Melbourne in October. Do tell. Yes. So um, the Melbourne Fringe Award is something that uh, was given to me in Edinburgh to support bringing the show over later in the year um, and I definitely want to stick around as well for because um, I've never been to Melbourne Fringe and I often see a lot of friends putting their shows in to the Fringe and I, I'm, so I'm going to what I'm we're just working on me coming over at the moment and so uh, I, I can I'll be able to tell you more I reckon in a few months but I definitely will be here and I am going to try and stick around for a good few weeks after I'm going to try my best and make the schedule work so that I can see other people's shows as well because that's the thing when you're delivering a show is that like I, I don't get to be as much of a punter as I want and see all the work and like cheer on people from the side so I definitely want to stick around and watch as much work queer work as possible because uh, yeah I love Melbourne Melbourne's amazing what a city Harry Clayton writes, it's been a joy chatting with you at 3CR. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. Lovely to chat. Ditto. Picture hanging.
Marvin Gaye and Tammy Tyrrell ain't nothing like the real thing. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. So pleased to have Russ Mulry from Fostering Connections in the studio. Russ, welcome to 3CR. Thanks, pleasure to be here. Fostering Connections, tell us about their work. So Fostering Connections is Victoria's uh, statewide foster care recruitment service and it's calling, basically it's a support service for people who want to become foster carers to be able to call them up and they can get linked into different foster care agencies in their local area. Fantastic. Now I know the language around foster care is really important. What's some of the inclusive language that should be used? So foster care for those that are listening who don't know are for young people who can't stay at home in their biological family. So it's another word for it. It's called out-of-home care. So young people will enter out-of-home care for a variety of different reasons and um, most will enter foster care um, or sometimes they'll enter kinship care where they go and live with extended family members. Fantastic. So tell us a bit about your own journey with um, out-of-home care. Yeah, so I have a personal out-of-home care background. So I entered the out-of-home care system when I was probably about four or five years of age and remained in care until I was 17. It made me grow up a whole lot quicker than what most kids do and it was a bit challenging at times but I think it's made me a stronger person to be who I am today and I'm able to go out and advocate and talk on behalf of those that don't have a voice to make the care system that much better. So you're really putting back into the system? Yeah, so I put back into the system last year. I won um, the Modeling Generous Community Award for Child Protection a week for, um, for the Commissioner for Children and Young People. So I won that award for all the work I do around the, the out-of-home care sector, whether it's Foster Connections or at the Centre for Excellence. So you must really feel like you're achieving and driving positive social change. Yeah, I do. And I obviously get up and I go to work and I advocate to change the care system. I'm always doing bits and pieces here and there and people know me and people know my voice and people know my backstory so I'm able to advocate to to improve that system and make it that little bit better. So tell us about some of the really positive experiences you had growing up in out-of-home care. So I think one of the most one that I enjoyed the most was um, I was about 14 or 15. Uh, At the time I wasn't engaging in school and I finally got back into education. I had an agreement with my workers that if I went to school for I think it was three months I'll go up to the Gold Coast with a work that I got on well with and went to the theme parks and stuff so that was one of the most enjoyable things I was able to go up to the Gold Coast with a a good worker and go to the theme parks and have fun and be that teenager that everyone should be able to do that not many young people get to experience so you're really putting back into the system and you're a member of the lgbtiq community as well and you're really championing the whole you know notion of queer people being out of home carers yeah so obviously we want LGBTQI carers to come on board and become foster carers. Obviously, there is a higher percentage um, of LGBT young people sort of in regional areas, and that's why Fostering Connections is heading to the Chill Out Festival to show that presence that any young people that are at Chill Out Festival that identify they've got that support from Fostering Connections and hopefully people come on board and go and see the team there and have a chat to them about fostering connections and how to become foster carers. It's a great festival, chill out. Have you been before? I haven't, but I'm going to head down this weekend and, and check it out, so I'm looking forward to it. And you've got a stall happening there as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the team will have a stall, so if anyone's listening that is going on, uh, the stall will be there on Sunday, so they want to go along, they can have a chat to Danny and the team and talk about fostering connections and what they actually do and find out all this different information and 
um, leave messages of hope that will be passed on to young people. Fantastic. So what's the process for people who are interested in being foster carers? Um, so you can call Fostering Connections on 1-800-013-088 or head to fosteringconnections.com.au um, and they'll put you in contact with your local foster care agency in the suburb or town you live with closest to you and then they'll do... There's like a recruitment process where they will do all the training, adequate checks to make sure that you're fit to become a foster carer. And sometimes people go, oh, I don't want to become a foster carer full-time. You don't have to do it full-time. You can do a respite on the weekend, so you can just do it here and there. So it's not, it doesn't have to be full-time. You can do it for three months or six months or 18 years. Fantastic. So if someone's listening and they want to be a foster carer, what advice would you give them as someone that's been in out-of-home care? Uh, be yourself. Young people know when you're fake and you're don't want to be it and your heart's not in it so just open up your home to as you'll open up to your own kids if you have your own children um but yeah just be yourself that's all young people want they want to feel loved they want to have that warm calming home that they can come home to after school and and have a nice meal on the on the table so have you thought about being a foster carer yourself? I have. It always goes through my mind, but I'm in a in a two-bedroom unit, so I don't think my housemate would appreciate that. Yeah, right. Okay. Russ, thank you so much for joining us today at 3CR. No Give us another plug for that website so people yeah, so can go foster, there. Fosteringconnections.com.au or you can call 1-800-013-088. Yeah. I only looked but I never touched
1. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Spirit Economopolis from the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. Welcome to 3CR. 
Thank you for having me on. What's your must-see film this year? I know it's an awesome program. Oh God! Look, I tell you what, uh, they're all good. But if I, if I, you know, I had a sort of sort of forced into an answer, I'd probably say um, the Strong Ones is a really great film, and I miss you. And two of us are three sort of hot tips that I would go. Don't forget to check them out. Gender diversity. There's heaps of great stuff on that. Tell us what your favourite, what your uh, recommendation is. You know, we've got a, actually a really great uh, movie from Argentina called Brief Stories from the Green Planet, which actually won the Teddy Award for Best Film last year. Teddy Award is one of the biggest queer awards uh, in the world uh, from Berlin. And the way I would describe this film is basically uh, E.T., but with a trans woman in the center of the story so it's about this woman who uh, a trans woman whose grandmother passes away and she is gifted her house and discovers that her grandmother was housing an alien all these years so it becomes this wonderful road movie where her and her friends are trying to get this alien back home so it's quite something it's very offbeat really lovely um, but definitely worth a look a road movie meets sci-fi who doesn't like that? That's fantastic. And that segues perfectly into uh, lesbian films. It wouldn't be a Melbourne Queer Film Festival without an awesome lineup of, no. of, of, of lesbians. Tell us all about that. We have some wonderful movies this year. I mentioned uh, The Two of Us, which was one of my favourites. I think uh, it's this absolutely fantastic film from France and Belgium about uh, two elderly women who uh, are secretly have been in a relationship for a long time, but to the, you know, on the outside and to their family, their they're widows. Uh, who sort of husbands had passed away and they're basically sharing a top floor of an apartment but in actual fact they've been in this long-term relationship and uh, something happens that uh, sort of threatens to unravel their secret and so it's about how these two women try to stay together and it's like a really wonderful, wonderful drama uh, quite suspenseful at times even but it's it's really fantastic I, I really adored this film And it sounds like you've really moved away from you know American films you've got much more of a European and other continents influence. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting this year, I would say this is probably the, this year we've probably had the least films from North America. Um, And it's really interesting. I think a lot of, you know, I think a a lot of really interesting queer films are coming out, coming out from countries actually where being gay is still illegal. And sometimes, uh, you know, I think that's sort of interesting how artists kind of react to those kind of things. And so the um, you're seeing some just really great queer cinema coming out of there, and you know the sort of Spanish language country is always kind of representing in a really amazing way as well. What about Africa? We have a really wonderful film called Walking with Shadows, actually, um, which is based on a really groundbreaking novel from 2005 about uh, a married man who uh, is basically being blackmailed by a past secret, which uh, basically it's revealed that he had a secret gay life, basically. And it's about him coming to terms with his sexuality, but also his wife kind of dealing with that fallout. Um, It's a really kind of beautifully made film, very empathetic, I think. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a really interesting movie. Anything from Greece or the Middle East? Funny you should mention Greece, actually. Uh, We have a wonderful short, actually, which is playing in our Hooking Up program, which is a, a shorts package, a sort of male focus. And it's this really lovely film called The Distance Between Us and the Sky, which uh, I really recommend people checking out. 
What about visitors to the festival? Uh, Finn Grey Paul was out last year. Yeah. Who have you got this year? Well, we have uh, the director, actually, of that film, I Miss You, which uh, I mentioned before, which is a, a, a Bolivian film. Uh, Rodrigo Bello, who's the director, this is actually based on his stage play. And what seemed really incredible about this film was that it, uh, when it was released as a play initially, then as a film in Bolivia, it just caused this dialogue there where it opened up a discussion about um, homosexuality and mental health and uh, it's a really really powerful film and it's incredible the change that it caused within that kind of society and I think you know the film is wonderful I think it's really kind of emotional and really well made I'm a big fan of Mexican films. Anything from Mexico? Yes. We have a great movie called This Is Not Berlin. And actually, this is a coming-of-age film set in the 80s. So if you're a fan of the 80s, this is even better as well. And it's about a young man, basically, kind of coming out and coming of age in um, Mexico City in the 80s, sort of set amongst the kind of punk queer scene. Uh, it's really, really cool and, uh, you know, really interesting kind of story, which I, I enjoyed quite a bit. It's got a lot of energy to it. and Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The punk scene in Mexico City in yes. the 80s. Tell us a bit more yeah, about that. Well, I'm an 80s child. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's like the kind of punk new wave, actually. And, of course, as you can imagine, uh, you know, that, that scene was kind of really sort of gender diverse. Even back then, we talk about gender diversity quite a bit now. But I think uh, when you look at, you know, even the 70s, even, let's be honest, you know, when you think of kind of androgyny and, you know, things like that, that there's stuff that people have been exploring for a long time. So it's kind of interesting seeing it in, in a prison of that era, but also in a culture that sometimes people sort of see as being hyper-masculine or really conservative. And um, this is definitely sex, drugs and rock and roll in a big way. So it's a lot of fun. What about the 90s? Oh, what about the 90s? Uh, I'm sure we have something from the 90s. I'm just trying to call back now, actually. Well, you know what? Actually, speaking of the 90s, I think what's really great about the festival this year is that this is our 30th anniversary. So is we it really? S- yeah, so we started in the 90s. So I'll, I'll lead with that because I actually think uh, what's been amazing about our festival is that we really came out of uh, a era in the 90s when queer cinema was really kind of coming into its own. We talk about the queer new wave and that was the 90s and this is where our festival kind of was really sort of born from and, you know, we're resting on the shoulders of people like Pedro Moldovar and Gus Van Sant and Todd Haynes and Cheryl Dunn and Rose Troche, incredible filmmakers and I think it's really exciting that we have sprung from that, I guess. I actually, thinking back, went to that very first festival in 1990 and there was a lot of controversy around a local film called Dykes of Our Restless Days. Um, so oh, Sounds great. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> so you're, you're bringing back lots of fond memories. But it was also, you know, it was an emerging time, wasn't it, for yes. queer cinema, but also a very depressing time with HIV AIDS and so many deaths. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, um, I think what's amazing also about uh, our festival too is that, you know, there's a real historical perspective to it too, in particular... Um, thinking about that when I was programming, a lot of it was about looking forward and also looking back. And, you know, I think our opening night film, I think, is a testament to that uh, gay chorus, Deep South, as is uh, a really great documentary called The Archivettes and 5B, which are about an older generation of queers who were um, living in different times. And, you know, I think uh, that perspective is so relevant and current today, even. And I think it's kind of really great that hopefully younger queers can sort of see as well. So who makes the decisions about which films make the cut and which don't? Uh, me. <laughs> Mostly me. That's basically. a lot of power. Well, you know, there's a lot of responsibility, I guess. But, uh, you know, I feel uh, I feel like 
the festival's in good hands at this point. So, you know, no complaints so far. <laughs> Look, we've just, we all know the, the marriage equality saga. Uh, is there anything on queer divorce? Look, there's definitely stuff about queer relationships going through very complicated times. And one film in particular called 15 Years uh, is an Israeli movie about a couple who are in a long-term relationship and they're obviously celebrating their 15th anniversary. And one of their friends announces that they're um, actually going to have a baby. And uh, this causes, I guess, like a crisis in their relationship. And I think what's interesting about that film is that, uh, I guess, gay couples are thinking about that kind of stuff now. And they're the other sort of pressing issues about longevity, about starting families and yeah, marriage and divorce even. So these are things that we're kind of also inheriting as well. Any horror movies? I like the idea of gay well, horror. Got to say, horror is my my secret kind of you know favorite genre. So I am excited. Really? To, oh, absolutely, it's my favorite, and uh, I'm very thrilled to say that we have a great movie called Spiral, which uh, I would describe as a gay get out. Uh, is probably the best way to describe it. And actually, that's exciting about that is we have the director coming out for that. So um, that's definitely worth checking out. And it's a really interesting film about a gay couple who kind of come into this small community with a a very sinister secret, which I won't give away. And uh, a really wonderful documentary called Scream Queen, which is about the lead actor of A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, which uh, people may or may not know, was uh, at the time when it came out, had an incredibly blatant queer, well, it's not even a subtext, it's so obvious in that film. The actor that starred in that film at the time was closeted and uh, was also dealing with a partner who was HIV positive. And it's very much about someone struggling to come out at a time when there was so much, you know, I guess, hatred and also sort of prejudice against people with AIDS in Hollywood. And also about an actor who felt like his career was kind of really destroyed by a film that he, you know, apparently went into not knowing it had this queer subtext. So it's a really fascinating documentary. And, you know, even if you're not a fan of horror, I think there'll be a lot to enjoy in that. You must be watching like heaps of films every day to prepare for this festival and to kind of select films. You must Um, be constantly watching movies. Does watching the Friday 13th series count? I mean, like (laughs) basically I am watching a lot of films all the time. I mean, I'm a movie fanatic i love movies so much i've been you know going to i've been going to this film festival for many years as well and you know as a patron and um i you know this is like a dream job for me so i'm quite happy to watch movies all the time have you ever been in a film yourself i have made some films and i've probably unbeknownly been in films i don't know um no i don't think i've been in a film before i'm just trying to think actually i've been on television You mentioned documentaries. Tell us a little bit more about the documentary screening. Well, I mentioned very briefly the Archivettes, which is this absolutely wonderful doco about the Lesbian Herstory Archive, which was formed in New York in the 70s. Yes, Joan Nessel. Joan Nessel, yes. And Joan Nessel is going to be introducing this session, How which is so awesome. thrilling. How awesome. Absolutely. She's Our most so downloaded great. podcast was an interview with Joan Nessel. Oh, I'm not surprised. She's really wonderful. And I'm so excited that she's going to be there. And the Lesbian Herstory Archive is this wonderful document of lesbian history um, in uh, mostly, I think, America, but around the world that are stories that are personal, that are political, and very much, unlike, you know, like the queer community, you know, that personal is political, and I think it's wonderful that um, this thing exists.
give us the details for the festival so people can check it out. Okay, we start on March the 12th to 23rd, so that's next week. Uh, you can get tickets on uh, from our website at www.melbourneMQFF.com.au or you can download the app and uh, you know book all your films in there. It's a good way to do it. Awesome stuff. Spiro, thanks for joining us so much on 3CR. Thank you so much. That was great. 3CR. In Your Face, we'd like to thank Thornhubber Health for their financial support of this program. Thornhubber Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities. A future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more about them, search Thornhubber Health on your search engine or find them on Facebook. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.